You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are delighted to be back with you on this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series which is our weekly open-ended and quite raw exploration of the world of rule-based investing and where we also try and take some of your questions. Uh, Moritz is not able to join us this week as I think actually he's out skiing this weekend, if I remember correctly. So it's just uh, you and me, Jerry. Good morning to you. Good morning, Niels. Now, um, end of another week and uh, what a week. It's been with kind of the Fed defying President Trump, U.S. equities heading to bear market territory, uncertainty and chaos when it comes to Brexit. <laughs> the list is the list is pretty long this week, actually. So um, so that may give us some, um, you know, a little bit to talk about when it comes to uh, trend following and, and how we um, how we fared this week and so on and so forth. And um and the good news is we've got a lot of questions this week, which we will try to deal with um, as best we can. So um, why don't we jump into it? Do you want to start out with kind of a quick review from your point of view in terms of the uh, trends we saw and and how um, sort of trend following seen by the eyes of you, um, Fed? Sure. I think it was a great week for trends. Um, we can't avoid the stock market. We want to be alternative. We want to trade other things. We want to go short, but the stocks were prominent. Uh, once again, any reason to go short, any, any rally was met with more selling. I'm not even sure that, uh, we needed all of these fundamental reasons that the market's going to go lower. And it's been telling us that for quite a while, viciously lower quickly. Uh, so that was great uh, for CTAs that, downtrend, those short positions, probably for most medium to long-term trend followers were established uh, prior to this week. So that looked good. Dollar didn't do a lot, but it stayed near its highs. Good for trend followers. The short energy, we were complaining about losing money on the longs, just get short and it kept, kept going. So not too bad for trend following. Uh, the trends probably different story for different types of strategies, uh, medium to long term. But uh, there's some trends out there. So that's good to see. Yeah, definitely very encouraging. And I concur. I mean, we certainly saw most of the action uh, in the uh, equity uh, sector for sure. Um, and certainly that helped uh, a lot. And finally, you know, nice to be able to provide some uh, negative correlation, which I think a lot of investors have been looking for from our sector and our, you know, the role we play in the portfolio. But, you know, it takes time to unwind um, these some of these very long term positions that we were as an industry um, probably having all of us uh, heading into this year. And, and uh, certainly U.S. equities only really made their final high in in late September, I think it was. So uh, you're right. I mean, by now, um, most medium to long term trend follows up most likely position to the short side and and that's played out nicely uh we saw some mixed uh, action in currencies um you know a bit of winners a bit of losers really 
um, and uh, yeah, still hurting a little bit in the in the fixed income, uh, U.S. fixed income, but uh, certainly European fixed income um, seem to be uh, still continuing uh, to the to the upside, which helped. And then energy, generally um, positive noises from energy uh, or energy positions, I should say, not necessarily energy prices. And a few other of the commodities um, did well when I look at a breakdown of, of our PNL. So we had a strong week and, um, you know, still still struggling for the year, but uh, at least it was one of those weeks that are more fun to, um, to look back on. Um, but I agree. I mean, it was certainly an action-packed uh, week, and it's interesting also that I think sometimes people forget. But I mean, I mean, the S and P uh, is down eighteen percent or so, I think, from from the high, and you know that's quite you know decent uh, you know correction, uh, especially when you sort of adjust for the volatility we've seen in the S and P uh, in recent times. So, comparatively to trend following, you know, again, I think sometimes we need to be reminded that. Uh, you know, equities can be equally or or more, as as we like to talk about from time to time, uh, risky um, because the upside is generally not as great as many of these trend following strategy in in the long term. Yet they they certainly have the same level or even greater um, downside moves uh, when when it happens. So uh, yeah, um, since Morris is out, we'll just uh, sort of jump elegantly onto some of the next topics we usually talk about, which, uh, of course, includes uh, the popular tweets we saw in social media. Um, so why don't we uh, why don't we look at that, uh, Jerry, and see what what went on? It's a quiet week for Twitter, but uh, there was a few things that caught people's attention. I think uh, I was trying to provoke uh, some thoughts on uh, sort of. The idea that um, previously this summer or fall, there's been a lot of articles written about how certain trend following ideas don't work very often. They don't work in stocks. The last five or 10 times that the death cross has happened in the S&P, the S&P rallied. It's, it's, rather than going with that trend, we should be buying there. And so I thought now that uh, most recent death cross, the 50 day moving average going below the 200 day moving average. That looks pretty darn good right now uh, to have lightened up or liquidated based upon that simple, well-known trend idea. And I just think it's uh, one of those things where everyone kind of knows that in order to trade trend following in that particular way, medium to long term, it's best to trade lots of markets, currencies, commodities, bonds, stocks, long and short. Diversify like crazy. You're, it's a 40% whatever winning game where you're going to win just on 40% of the trades. The big winners are going to have to be very big to uh, make money. And so narrowing it down to one market and looking at the five past trades in that one market is silly. People know better. They just like to do it anyways. And so uh, this, and this is what happens. You can get false comfort in something like that, that it hasn't worked, it's not going to work, then all of a sudden it's a pretty good tool for risk management, which ultimately is what going with trends and looking at prices is all about. Yeah, and I, I also think, I mean, you mentioned this thing that often is referred to in the press, you know, the death cross, and I've seen other 
sort of technical analysis type. Um, um, I, I don't even know what the word is, but the terms that are being used. Um, and I think this is, I don't know if it's the, if it's journalists way to try and, and visualize what trend following really is. But to, in my mind, at least a lot of these things that are being discussed and put, you know, portrayed as being related to trend following, in my view, isn't really anything to do with what, what we do. I mean, is it, and even, and if it was, it's a very small part of what we do. Um, and, um, but I guess people want something, you know, that they, uh, can, um, you know, relate back to a, a textbook or something they read and said, oh, if this is the death cross, then, then all trend followers must be short or must be long. But I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a mismatch between what we re- really do on a day-to-day basis and, and, and what people read about in in the press. And hopefully, um, you know, these conversations and other, you know, podcasts on the topic uh, will help uh, sort of uh, demystify that a little bit and hopefully also help um, set the record straight um, to uh, to some extent. So, uh, yeah. What else happened? Uh, what what did people like uh, in in your Twitter world this week? Oh, the most popular Twitter quote, uh, Twitter post for me was talking about volatility and basically volatility does not signify trend. It can be two different things. Uh, mm-hmm. CTAs are sort of, called sometimes uh, as traders that were long vol. Uh, so that's can be true sometimes. I think it's the best trades historically, I think, are ones that are low vol, quiet, boring, no one likes them, no, no interest. The market's been rough and tough, and so the volatility might be low. And then we get in there and put on a nice position on the breakout or moving average crossover, and much later, after the position is established and we've maybe made some decent uh, money and a decent trend, the vol kind of picks up and gets going mm-hmm. when the rest of the world or lots of other traders start recognizing that this could be something. But right out of the gates, a lot of volatility. It's just mostly probably going to be whipsaw, kind of like natural gas. Most of the time when we see just tremendous volatility after the trade just being an uptrend for a few weeks, um, Probably it may not work as well as low vol, quiet, and uh, let's get volatility going much, much later in the trend. I don't know. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, and we've talked about it a couple of times before that that actually from 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 many trend type approaches uh, point of view, um, you know, we do best when volatility is relatively low uh, at the point of entry because that's when we size our positions initially and so on and so forth. So. You know, so high volatility per se, um, you know, is kind of a double-edged sword for trend followers. You don't really want it at the initiation of the trend, um, and um, you know, so but but it does obviously tend to happen during the trend for sure. And then you either adjust for that or you don't. Doesn't really matter. But uh, and then you often see it pick up again um, towards the end of a trend. Um, and uh, of course, when there is uncertainty. Uh, and uh, disagreement between buyers and sellers, what way uh, the market is is heading. So, um, um, but again, I I think sometimes um, I mean I uh, sort of long volatility versus short volatility strategies. I remember we talked about that kind of early on in this exploration because I I truly feel, and this is one of my big concerns. Um, 
generally when it comes to the investor world is I think a lot of strategies are deep down short volatility strategies, while there's very few that are sort of long volatility strategies, CTAs or trend following certainly being one of them um, and, and a couple of others. I mean, you can obviously have long vol strategies that are specifically designed to be long vol and and, um, you know, but those kind of strategies like trend following are often those that don't, tra- you know, we don't make money consistently and we, we it's very lumpy and, and, and that's why people prefer the, the more, you know, short biased uh, volatility strategies. They think they're safe. But I think right now, I mean, we're heading into the last uh, week of the year and, and, and volatility seems to be pick, picking up. Um, you and I were talking about it just before we hit record. And that is, I mean, um, what what happens uh, with equity markets once this net inflows we've seen in all these passive strategies and mutual funds, when that turns and becomes net outflows, um, I was listening, I'm pretty sure it was, to a podcast uh, where a couple of guys from Vanguard was being interviewed. Um, it's not a world that I know a lot of, so I was in, you know, interested in in how it really works, and of course, what they say is that a lot of their trading. So when they have to adjust their index every single day, or, or one of their funds for inflows and changes to the index, a lot of that is just obviously algorithmically, um, you know, uh, programmed so that they go and do these adjustment trades, and a lot of that trading happens towards the end of the trading day. So again, I think what we sometimes see as big moves towards the close and people say, oh, that's just all the algos. Well, it could well be algos, but it might well be algos stemming from the passive uh, mutual fund side of the industry. So I think we have to be careful uh, always, uh, you know, uh, labeling um, our side of the systematic trading world with the one's being uh, the cause of increased volatility, I think it could be e- as easily described as, as um, you know, the the volatility uh, stemming from from flows from from the passive side of of the markets. And of course, once those flows turn negative, which I'm not even sure they have done yet, but if they do, um, that puts a a, a natural um, downward pressure on 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 equity prices and not not trend follows as you as you rightly said, Jerry. I mean, we've been positioned short for a while now, it's, so it's not really us doing the day-to-day selling, even though it's been the last week. I think the S&P is down 7% last week. I mean, that's a big drop for equities. And I don't really think it has anything to do with trend followers in particular because those positions were put on a few weeks ago. Would that be sort of your... Exactly. I think uh, and the some of the CTAs, as we've talked about, they will do a counter-trend trade, i.e. buy some of the stock indexes as the vol increases. So in sure, this particular, that's true, so yeah. there's like doing the opposite of, but yeah. uh, I think uh, another tweet that was somewhat popular this week was simply, uh, you know, maybe the market technical analysis goes with prices and looks at prices and goes with trends and maybe the market kind of knows something that you don't know. And so I think that is a, cornerstone of what we do we i think it's kind of we can't we're human so we i complain about what's going on who's doing what 
But at the end of the day, we don't really pay much attention to it. We don't say, oh, it's right. algos or it's this. So we don't have to yeah. follow our system. No, we're just cocktail yeah. party talk. We're like complaining or wonder what's going on. But uh, who knows? And I think that sort of way approaching the markets is I don't really know. I don't really care. I don't like it necessarily. I don't like getting run out of my crude position, but I have to follow the prices because uh, that's safer. And uh, the market is market can be wrong, uh, but it's risky to assume that the price action is is illegitimate. Um, and uh, so it's it's just how we approach things. Uh, a friend of mine here in Tampa told me yesterday that six percent of the stocks in the S&P are above their 50 day moving average. And so I said, well, what was the, what was it like in, in you know, the last bad periods, uh, 2009 and stuff. And he said, oh, 5%. So I, <laughs> and I wouldn't use that as, okay, once we get to five or we're getting close, I mean, it may go to one, <laughs> you know, yeah. all, all we're saying, uh, all the trend followers should be acknowledging or saying or thinking about their position is, this is the right position for me. I'm following my system. It's, I think this is the right position to have on what's going to happen, where it's going to go. Uh, we don't know. No one knows. So I wouldn't even certainly think what we do is far different than looking at numbers like that and saying, Oh, okay, great. We're near the low. Historically, 5% is the low. So I feel good now. No, don't feel good. It's just stick with your position. Things, crazy things can happen. Yeah. And also just to, to just to clarify, I mean, when I before said that, you know, a lot of the downside volatility, in my opinion, could be, you know, could easily be caused by the passive guys, which are usually not the ones who are being blamed. I'm actually not saying that in any negative way. I'm not blaming them for doing their job. I mean, that's that's exactly what investors want. They want them to do what they're doing right now to adjust their portfolios, uh, you know, with the flows, et cetera, et cetera. So, so they're just doing what they're being paid for. And therefore there is no blame to be, uh, you know, to be attributed to, to, to that. It's really just to explain uh, and maybe to defend a little bit our side of the industry, which are often the one that are being blamed for driving these trends, especially when they're to the downside. We never get blamed for bringing markets up, uh, oddly enough. So, uh, so no, it's just, a, it's just a statement of fact. And, and uh, you know, as I think last week uh, we talked about this point about maybe, you know, people shouldn't just focus on on you know performance and you know should I buy this uh, strategy because it's performed really well. I mean, in my opinion, I think the way you structure uh, really truly diversified portfolios is to look at the underlying methodology, the underlying process, and then you want to have strategies that have true diversification when it comes to decision-making, markets they trade, et cetera, et cetera, man the way they manage their risk, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's probably how you build meaningfully sort of robust uh, portfolios instead of just chasing whatever strategy seems to have done uh, better. Uh, so, um, you know, for the last, uh, you know, year or two. Exactly. Before we, yeah. I mean, before we jump to, to some of the questions, Jerry, what else did you see in, um, in, in sort of the, the uh, reactions uh, to some of your tweets or maybe some articles that you uh, found? Well, not a lot uh, more. I think since we have okay. so many questions, let's go there. Uh, yeah. we, we got some good ones. 
Yeah, we got some good ones. So the first one actually is from Michael. And I think this, uh, yeah, this came in just after last week's uh, conversation. So first of all, um, Michael, um, it's kind of a, yeah, kind of a funny question. I, I don't get that typically, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, I'm not going to read all of it. Um, you, you make some very nice points about uh, this uh, podcast, which we appreciate. Um, and then you go on to to say, Michael, I was very fascinated. It was very fascinating to hear your voices. Um, did you notice that as opposed to almost all talking heads out there in the finance industry, you seem to be so calm and relaxed, good, good listeners rather than good salesmen, not so full of yourself. Is that typical of trend followers um or is that just a coincidence so uh <laughs> i think we have to uh we have to respond to that jerry what do you think is, uh, is this yeah. typical for uh, our industry i will respond by sending him a christmas present i really like this guy this is uh yeah. great great the best question ever actually so okay. no you know we just have fun and we're uh, we've definitely been full of ourselves before and we may sound like it in the future but it's a nice compliment, and uh, yeah. we love. We're passionate about what we do, and uh, we should be better sellers. But uh, so I, uh, but uh, I'm glad the passion and the the love of trend following and our relationships come across because it's yeah we're, yeah we're having fun. That's right. That's right. I uh, but I will say actually also uh, Michael to 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 your point. Um, I think it also has to do with the fact that, you know, Jerry has been in this industry for a very long time. I've been in this industry for, you know, almost as long as Jerry. So I think it's also, you know, just the fact that we we have so much belief in in our methodology. And even when times get rough, as it has been clearly this year, it, it doesn't change our view of of the value of the strategy. It doesn't change our our belief in, you know, the, that, you know, we as firms, but but also trend following as as a as a strategy as a whole, um, as as Jerry tweeted a, a few weeks ago. I mean, we've got to get out of this current drawdown exactly the way we got into it. So so I think you know there's there's definitely some 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 very good uh, points in in what Jerry said, and and of course it has a lot to do with you know the chemistry between the three of us. But but I also think it's just the fact that we've done this for a long time. So there's a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, confidence in 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 the in the strategy, but we do appreciate your your comment, and it was a great question. Now, Michael goes on to say, in the last edition, Jerry Parker explained a little bit about doing trend following on single stocks. I totally get his points, particularly if these stocks have low correlation amongst themselves. However, I read other sources that state that one should not trend follow on individual stocks, particular not the short side. And then he quotes an article, and I think. Uh, this might be something that could have come from Michael Covell's um, uh, blog, um, but because he had a discussion with, could have been Andreas Klinov about whether it works or not works. Um, and it's quite of a long um, quote. So I'm not going to go into that because I think the question has already been asked whether you, with your experience, Jerry, can talk a little bit about why you think trend following on single stocks works and also to the downside, why it, why it works well on, on that. Well, I think it works, uh, like you said, um, if you can, even if you do go, they'll get a broad uh, list of stocks with, that are very uncorrelated and diversified. It's still, uh, you're still subject to weeks like this where all the stocks are going to be down or the vast majority. 
Uh, now, what's great about the trend following, though, is that you may have some shorts on. Some of these stocks, even though they're down, uh, some of those, that's good because we're short and or flat. So, And like uh, every sector, currencies, commodities, interest rates, they're not going to be great standalone. So trend following stocks alone is not as great as putting it into a portfolio of currencies, commodities, bonds, long and short, where the stocks are just uh, 25% or whatever, you know, an equal allocation or maybe a little more, a little less, whatever your analysis um, dictates, then I think it's it's great. Um, in the shorts and all of the markets are not as good as the long sometimes, and that's been the case especially uh, recently where the stocks have been in a long, you know, bull market for quite a while since 2009, so all the shorts would have been better to be avoided. But that's the case in probably bonds as well. We just did some analysis on the short trades over the past 10 or 15 years, and both of those are negative. But I'm happy that there were big uptrends. So it just goes to the nature of trend following, how things cannot work for so long in a market or in a sector, and then all of a sudden, boom, it works. Uh, the golden, uh, the the death cross we talked about earlier. So this is the neat, yeah. when you trade a strategy like ours, where the big profits, you've got to have large profits, outlier trades to contribute. You're going to make profits on 40% of your markets, 40% uh, of your trades. Now you're getting an indication of what we really mean by long-term, you know, 10 or 15 years before the shorts and stocks will work. That's, that's the way trend following life is. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Before I get to Mike's uh, last or Michael's last uh, questions, I want to just uh, just add to to something like um, what what Jerry said here, Michael. Um, it's it's interesting because when I look at at attributions uh, from various sectors, so we trade ten different sectors. So if I look at attributions on on that. Um, Prior to 2017, if I look at the equity contribution for the last 10 or so years, there really had not been a lot of positive contribution, uh, you know, to the to the way we do trend following on our side. Um, but then since 2017, um, it has been to a large extent, certainly in 2017, it was all equities, um, you know, and actually outweighing some of the uh, you know, the other sectors, meaning we had losses in other sectors, yet we still made more than our annual return just coming from, from equities alone. So, or, or equity indices alone. So, so I think that Jerry's point about the patience that you have to have is really important. But the other thing I wanted to say, and that is, I think that the trend following world, um, and of course there are books you can buy and there is software and there's systems and all of that that you can buy if, if you think they're worth anything, you know, do that. Um, the, the problem I find is that um, because equities is such a dominant asset class among many investors, that's where they feel most comfortable. They, they, they take the trend following concepts and they only apply it to equities because that's what they, you know, that's what they're happy with. But, but in, in my opinion, one of the reasons why trend following works is that you don't just apply it to one asset class. In fact, I would say I, I, would, I would tell anyone not to trade trend following unless you can diversify across many different asset classes because there's a very high likelihood that you run into 
one of those periods where the where equities just don't work very well with with trend following. So, so so trend following should be done if you can diversify across many markets. And if you if you can't, I think you're better off buying a you know into a trend following strategy. Um, that is run by uh, someone who gives full diversification, uh, such as both Jerry does and, and and we do on our side, um, because otherwise you you may really run into some some trouble. And I think that's my biggest bone of contention, really, with uh, with with people promoting uh, certain you know aspects of trend following, uh, is that they they don't make it clear enough that if you're an individual investor. You might be able to afford the book or the or the course, and you might have a trading account. But if the trading account isn't big enough for having full diversification, you may end up losing a lot of money. And I th- I'm concerned about that part of it. I'm not sure it's so clear to people. Okay, we're staying with the single stock uh, a little bit more. Final question from Michael, and Michael gets three questions today because he was so kind with his first uh, observation, so he gets all three uh, answered. But it's mainly you again, uh, Jerry, because it's about single stocks, which uh, we don't trade. Um, so it's about single stock correlation. Uh, Michael asks, how do you actually measure that? Like how much look back period for correlation? And of course, I'm sure Michael doesn't want you to be completely specific, but just general terms, of course. Um, at what value of correlation does one really get good diversification effects? If I had 20 stocks and they're all below 0.5 correlated to the S&P, is that a good diversification? Do you measure correlation only as regarded, uh, only in regard to the S&P? Or do you have a full matrix of all stocks correlated to each other, et cetera, et cetera? So very much about single stocks, very much about how do we think about or how do you think about correlations um, when when you try and define your universe and, and what do you what are you looking for in terms of, of correlations if if you want to? Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> very good. Um, so uh, like all CTAs, we're going to start with uh, liquidity and make sure that we are in the most liquid markets and so that's the first thing I'm interested in. And then uh, I, I simply look look at the correlations amongst, you know, in the different sectors and different industry groups and maybe just pull one industry, one stock from each industry. Uh, <clears throat> so I, and I don't want to take away too much and be too bold with this calculation. I mean, I want to get rid of the obvious, Coke and Pepsi. Okay, let's just trade one of those. Uh, some of the pharmaceuticals are 80, 90% correlated. Let's just trade one of those and let's take one of the energies, one of the large energy companies. And so let's just build it with some math and some spreadsheets and some common sense. But then let's even say that we really are impressed with what we've come up with. We really like it. We're getting a lot of positive feedback from lots of people. Don't buy it too much because we've already said it's, we, we have a great portfolio of single stocks but in weeks like we've seen recently, we're going to be asking ourselves, where is that correlation? Where is that lack of correlation? It seems to me that when I needed it the most, I didn't really get it. And I wasn't really short some of these stocks, long and short. I was mostly long. I would say that's what February looked like. So you still want to come away pretty humble, uh, getting rid of the obvious duplications, but not uh, – trading all stocks or 50% stocks or, you know, in your portfolio, you still want to say, well, I did the best I could with that particular sector. 
I would never trade an index, commodity index, without the commodities or uh, a FX, the dollar index, and no other commodities. So I'm happy with my philosophical choice of trading individual names. Uh, my diversification is much better trading the individual names than trading all of the indices. Uh, but still, I'm going to take a measured approach. Uh, what's going to happen in the future, I don't really know. But I feel good that I've gotten away from all of the obvious uh, <clears throat> correlations, similar to uh, you know high correlations in gold, silver, and platinum. You may want to do something there. Uh, high correlations in soybeans and soybean meal. Maybe you want to like, do something there. But in, in no way, no matter how much how excited you are about your analysis, do you walk away putting too much emphasis on it. Now I figured out a way to trade all stocks or mostly stocks. No, you have it. Do uh, the best you can and understand that what, what's in the future you may not have seen in the past data. Absolutely. Um, just out of curiosity, um, do you diversify uh, across single stocks uh, internationally as well or do you just trade the US single stocks and if so, do you then just trade the indices when it comes to, uh, say, the German German market or UK or Australia or whatever? I trade uh, a handful of non-US as well. So some of the larger... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, Michael, thanks again for your question um, and the comments, and I hope that this was really useful uh, for you. I'm going to jump to another question, um, and this is from Nick. Uh, Nick has a very short question. He says, do you ever front run your systems? Uh, I sold uh, some ETFs I own before the end of November, knowing, I like the word, knowing the price was going to go below the 10-month moving average. I figured I'd get out before the Alcos sold on December 1st. So, um, okay, Nick, thanks for that. Um, Jerry, do you have a front run? I don't system? front run, no. Um, I don't, nope. that's not a concept that would uh, figure into my trading. I can understand what he's saying near the close. Yeah. Uh, it was sure. going to close below. I guess he thinks that's important or other, he thinks other people think that's important. It's going to obviously quote unquote, make some trades. I think that's a good strategy, but I don't know how to implement that. So. No. No, I agree, and 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 you know, neither do we on our side. And and I, I the only thing I would say, uh, Nick, is that maybe as 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 Jerry was suggesting, maybe it was like a hundred percent sure, and then maybe that's why you used the word knowing that the price was going below the ten month moving average, and and then you could say, well, I would get the signal anyways. But I think you, when it comes to trend following, I think you, if you really want to do trend following, I think you have to commit a hundred percent. And I think the small gains you may get from something like that, I first of all, I don't think they can be that great in the long run. And, and secondly, uh, once you start going down a path of not following your system 100%, you know, you, you may get into some trouble uh, later on. So not something that we do on our side, not something Jerry do, but we understand the temptation uh, of trying to, to get ahead a head start, so to speak. Well, thanks for your question, Nick. Um, let's jump on to David's question. David had another question here. Have you ever been through a market similar to this year? Equities sideways chop. How did the market turn out? How did you come out? What lessons did you learn? So I'm going to come to you first as well, Jerry, on this one. 
I'm certainly sure that there's been some years like this and maybe even markets like this, but I don't think I want to take away too many lessons from specific years. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's always going to be different, but uh, following my system and, the, you know, that's some of the lessons I've learned over the years when I didn't follow my system or I traded too large or I didn't, in hindsight, wasn't as, dur- as diversified as I wanted to be, or maybe I was too short term and I needed to tweak my systems a little bit. Those are the sort of lessons I'd rather pick up rather than looking back on a certain year and trying to match it up and certainly as you know how, how it's going to turn out. It's probably not going to turn out the way it did in 12. I think we had a poor year in 2012. There was a lot of sideways. You know, with us, we don't really care or focus on the S&P, but there was a lot of sideways maybe in the currencies and energy and we did some uh, looking at our systems and took away some lessons, uh, but not sort of trying to match up one year that looks like this year. Yeah, I mean, I would say on our side, we we certainly, um, I mean, we certainly try to to learn from certain situations, and we did look at what happened back in February to see if there's anything that we could uh, learn from that uh, market scenario. Um, our conclusion was that it was a very short-term event, and if we were trying to um, find ways of doing better in a scenario like that, it would most likely cost us money in the long run. So we're not interested in in trying for you know going for a short-term fix if it hurts our clients in the long term. Um, in terms of what did you take away or what lessons did you learn? I think one takeaway that I'm sure both Jerry and 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 we do is we can always take away confidence, meaning that, and and I think I've mentioned this a couple of times uh, in recent weeks, I mean, this year for me, especially when I look at the trend following performance where we've had, you know, a couple of back-to-back difficult months, it does remind me a little bit about um, sort of 2007 prior to the really strong run we had in 2008 as an industry. And 2013, prior to the very strong run we had in 2014. So in that sense, um, I would say that's that's some of the things that come up in my mind when I look at a year like this. Not so much the specific market conditions, because as Jerry said, it's going to be different every time. Um, But maybe just looking at the performance profile of a certain year, it can remind you of of a similar situation you've gone through, um, you know, previously, and it's going to give you some confidence in saying, "Well, you know, we've been this, we've been through this before, and and we know as long as we stick with what we do, um, there will be better opportunities, better periods, and 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 as long as things don't look like something we've never seen before, um, you know, I don't think there's too many, uh, you know, there shouldn't be too much reason to." to uh, to change things or, or panic in any way but we appreciate your question david thanks so much for that uh the next one is from and i'm not entirely sure i'm going to pronounce this right but it's kind of thick i think is the name thick at thick was the uh, twitter handle um and he just says can you give us uh, a proven trend following strategy for example donkian that that's a pretty short question, Jerry. I think there's a few. Think if I can, I, let me jump in first here. They think there's a few. You mentioned one of them. Um, so Duncan for me is kind of classical price channel breakout type methodology, and and that obviously um, Jerry is very familiar with in in, in his world. Um, there are a few other ones. I mean, some people use volatility breakout 
that's one of the models we do, which is actually the original uh, methodology that uh, Bill Don um, started using back in the 70s. Um, so that still seemed to be perfectly valid. Um, time series momentum. Um, for me, that is something that came more from the European side of of the trend following world with the uh, AHA HL guys uh, in the mid '80s, and then it's been adopted by many people. Um, and um, and we certainly you know like that as well, and and use techniques from that world, and and that seems to be working well. You have your classical moving average type strategies, which in some ways can be very easy to visualize and understand and, and so on and so forth. It might be a little bit harder to, uh, well, I guess you used to have, you would use uh, several moving average uh, crossover systems in order to sort of uh, perhaps better manage your, your um, you know, your entries and exits in particular, because of course, breakout methodology lends itself well to use stops, uh, moving average strategies, not so much. And therefore, you would probably use a combination of different moving average strategies so that your position size overall or signal uh, strength overall will vary from being, you know, fully long to less, you know, half long or flat, et cetera, et cetera. And then the same on the downside. So different combinations of that. And those are just some of the some of the trend following methodologies that I can think of right now. Um, Jerry, what do you want to, to add to, to the question from Seek? That's, that's a very sufficient answer. I liked it. Um, some of those, I have to admit, I don't know exactly what they are, but um, I like the breakouts, of course. I, that's a great way to trade, and it's the way I learned. Um, combination of breakouts and moving averages, possibly. Um, <clears throat> they have their different strengths and weaknesses in regard to how they measure trend. I, um, yeah, so I think those are great. I would just, as I've said before, put up some charts before you do your back test, uh, put up some mm. charts and look at some trends of the past 20 or 30 years and see um, which method keeps you in the trends but doesn't keep you in too long after they turn around. And then if you like breakouts, then figure out, okay, what's the parameter? Is it, what's the look back period? And so go through this process and see if you can guess what uh, the, when you do your back test, what the computer is going to say. Does it like breakouts better? Does, what parameter does it like better? And then trade multiple parameters. So there's lots of information out there on the internet about the uh, <clears throat> choices that one, that people use. They all have their pros and cons and probably lots of them make the same amount of money yeah i think that's true and i think um uh, i think another thing i would just add to that Theek, and that is when you do what jerry suggested you look at different you try maybe you know a few different things across a certain time frame and you look at what output it comes in terms of performance um think about which one fits your personality best because they're not the same they might get to the same end result but they might get there in very different ways and i think that uh, it's important to um you know use a strategy that that you personally feel comfortable with because otherwise you if, if not you're going to end up making the same mistake as many other um, um you know investors trying to use trend following um and that is you're going to give up on the wrong uh, point or you're going to override your system etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and that that's not a good strategy anyway so but thanks for the question Theek. we appreciate it and Tim, timothy timothy has a question here i could be wrong but it seems like the largest ctas have been 
hindered in the last decade by being too diversified, would there be a benefit of being a little more focused in the markets that are trending? That's an interesting question. So we appreciate that. Timothy, what do you what do you think, Jerry? Well, just kind of uh, throwing a little humor in, I think that, uh, yes, <clears throat> focusing on the better trending markets would definitely help. Now, it's a joke because we don't really know which ones are the better trending until they're already trending. So we've got to follow the system and hope we get our fair share of those trending markets and that the way we have our portfolio weights set up, it's uh, in some sort of even way with the currencies, commodities, stocks, and bonds that we, you know, we're not overly uh, one-sided and or overly uh, committed to one sector. So we increase the chances of finding those good trends. But that's a tempting idea to, uh, before the trend begins, identify trends uh, that are going to be better. I mean, we've kind of done that because we're refining our system. I like to have a a system that, that's kind of hard to get in. You know, the, the entries are hard. The the <clears throat> the trend has to be bold, big. Um, it's not wimpy. And uh, it closes on its high. It closes on the highest high it's been for a while. You know, something like more trend is better. <clears throat> and so I've already discriminated right there. I'm saying, okay, not, not a huge difference between uh, maybe a trade I didn't quite have to get into. But um, I am trying to f- say, okay, more trend is better and my system kind of does it, but that's about it. Um, I don't really think that it's, uh, I don't think it's possible to be over diversified. It, uh, it's all these trades have the same expectation um, and more diversification, the better. Um, so it's not really a concept. You can mess up the diversification by not paying attention to correlations. Like we've said before, trading too many stocks versus everything else or not any stocks versus uh, at all, that's not going to help you. But uh, over diversification, I don't think is a valid concept. So so I would answer it a little bit differently, uh, Timothy. I agree with many of the things that, uh, that Jerry says. I think what you're getting at, um, I mean, I could be wrong, um, but I think what you're getting at is that uh, maybe some of the very large managers, um, you know, the performance uh, hasn't been that strong, and therefore it's, it's, um, you know, you, one could make the conclusion that because they are, you know, they're too diversified because they, they obviously many of the very big managers, they have to trade a lot of markets in order to get the capacity they need um, in in their portfolio, you know, for for trading all of that money. Um, it, I remember a conversation I had with Harold uh, de Boer from TransTrend um, a few months ago. And in my view, they used to be incredibly diversified, trading more than 300 markets, if I'm, if my memory is serving me right here. Um, and he did make the comment that they had found somewhat recently that maybe that wasn't such a great idea. Maybe they did uh, you know, quote unquote, over diversify a little bit. So I think in in some instances, I think it's right. I would turn it around a little bit, um, and 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 you could say, well, how many markets do I really need to trade in order to be fully diversified, right? And I think you get to a number around fifty or sixty markets. I'm not taking into account single stocks. Uh, if you add those, there'll be more. But if you just take traditional, uh, you know, classical trend following portfolio. Um, let's just call it 50, 60 markets, and you will have a pretty diversified uh, portfolio. So, so the question for me is more is 
if I add another 20 markets, do I really get a lot of diversification benefits? And in that case, I think you can argue that there's probably not a lot of markets once you get to 60 that you can add that gives you a tremendous amount of diversification most of the time. But I also want to remind you of something that Jerry said last week, I think it was, or maybe two weeks ago. And that is that, and correct me uh, here, Jerry, there was one year where you made 30% in December alone and it all came from, I think, net gas. So Heating oil. So, so, oh, heating oil. Okay. So, 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 so this is where one single market, but just adding that, and most of the time it doesn't look like you're getting a lot of diversification, but once in a blue moon, it goes and it gives you that, you know, wonderful trend that you, that just made that month or that year. And therefore it's difficult to argue that you can be too over, over diversified when you see examples of that. So, for me, it's kind of a yeah. I you know I don't know that I think you need to trade two hundred markets um, if you're managing you know up to a certain amount of money. If you get above that, yeah, you probably need to add more markets. But I also want to recognize uh, Jerry's point, and that is sometimes one market um, can make a huge difference, and in that case, it would be better to have that market included rather than not. I hope that yeah. Well, go ahead, I was Jerry, just going to say. I think that you're 100% right. Uh, I think there are only 50. I think there's really only 50 unique drivers, and that's what I was getting at. I, yeah. When you yeah. take into consideration platinum, silver, gold, let's just call that one. If you take into consideration crude, heating oil, unleaded, that's kind of one. doesn't mean we're not going to trade yeah. those markets, but we're going to recognize sure. that you're going to get a lot of the same movement from you know those two different groups there and the grains and uh Swiss, Swiss franc, euro, and Sweden, kind sure. of the same market. Yeah. So I think yeah. you're right. I mean, when you total it up, honestly, is it a real market? I think there's like 50 unique. That's maybe a little high. Uh, so I think that's something I'm trying to get. <clears throat> I'm trying to get across how I look at this stuff uh, as it relates to correlation. And I think you're 100% right. And you know, just mathematically, every time you add a new market, even if it's sure. uniquely diversified, uh, if there was such a thing as a thousand independent markets, you know, as you add more and more, it becomes less and less important. Uh, yeah. You're not going to get your and risk also, down to zero. And also, <clears throat> no, exactly. And also we should recognize that, you know, once in a while there is definitely new markets that will add true diversification that's becoming liquid enough for us to trade. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of debate about things like Bitcoin at the moment. And Bitcoin could very well be a candidate if it was liquid enough because it's such a different uh, market compared to anything else we trade. Um, so, so uh, just just to answer that fully, Timothy, um, it doesn't mean that we 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 get to a static portfolio and say, oh, we're never going to trade any other markets than this. We 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 constantly monitor this and see if there's any other opportunity. And sometimes, also, I mean, sometimes we take a market out if it becomes just too small and too illiquid. I mean, you have to you have to be willing to make those sacrifices as well, even if you quote unquote, lose a little bit of diversification because risk management is, you know, is a multiple pronged approach. It's not just about, you know, the how the market moves, but it's actually, can you actually trade it at all times when you need it? Um, so things like that. But great question, Timothy. We appreciate that. Go ahead. And I would just Jerry. say um, it's for the larger traders, which I wish I was one, um, they the have the opposite problem, which is 
the, the larger they get, it's definitely possible that they would be able to trade fewer commodities or commodities could be less of the portfolio weighting. So uh, that's when people ask me over the years, uh, what's your maximum capacity? Uh, you know, what do you think you can trade with this approach? It being long term and concentrating on liquid markets is is uh, would make me think that I could trade uh, billions. But then uh, it always came down to I, I want the commodities to be twenty five percent at least of what I do of uh, my portfolio weightings, and because of the different rules and regulations about the amount of commodity positions we can take on as speculators. Uh, that's, I think, uh, a problem, a, gr- a good problem for guys who have uh, girls who have big funds. But I think that's kind of the opposite. Uh, the bigger you get, the harder it is to diversify. Yeah, great point. Great point. Um, then we have a question from Anish. Uh, Anish has a question saying, how do you identify relative strength and accordingly allocate slash divide capital between equities, bonds, currencies? Um, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think point? I've yeah. been really incredibly consistent on this. Uh, I allocate capital, and I call it the portfolio weightings, strictly based on correlations and without regard to historical performance. I trade uh, bean oil and cocoa. I don't think they've ever been profitable. And I think wheat is not very profitable. They, I can't take that to an extreme. You know, if it got out of control, uh, I couldn't trade. I'm not willing to trade lots of markets that don't make money. But it's just the way some of the markets are not going to make money historically. I don't think it means anything for the future. These All these trades have the same expectation. I'm a broken record to say the same thing about this every single time and uh, but looking back on historical performance uh crude has been awesome the yen has been awesome don't do that uh they may not be awesome in the future just set up your portfolio uh weightings based upon uh the correlations i trade a lot of commodities a a fair amount of single name stocks uh, less currencies and even less interest rates and that's totally due to the interest rates are really correlated. Yeah, they certainly are. Um, I mean, we do it. Um, you know, I'm sure we not we we don't do it that differently. I mean, but we do take sort of a, a top down view and say, okay, you know, which markets do we want to trade? Are they liquid enough? Uh, do they add co- you know diversification to the portfolio? Meaning, do they have you know a relatively low correlation? And some of them obviously will have a higher correlation. But when it comes to how we allocate the risk. T- on a day-to-day basis, we actually don't look at sectors when it comes to that. We we look at each individual market in you know as a separate market, and so they could all, in theory, have the same level of risk. So if our portfolio was fully long in all fifty-four markets that we trade, then in terms of a risk uh, budget, they would be the same because we don't believe that there's any reason why in the very long run. Um, you know, soybean should be less profitable than, you know, the euro. It may be that the euro has been more profitable in the last 10 years, but it doesn't mean, as Jerry said, it's going to be more profitable in the next 10 years. So so, so we look at that in a, in a very, very, you know, um, sort of relatively simple uh, way and, and want to treat everything uh, equal in that respect and what then determines what the um, 
sector allocation is, it's really just down to how many markets in each sector do do we end up having once we've made those analysis and, and those choices. And of course, we don't want to end up with 50% equities or bonds or anything like that. And, and we have obviously a desire to, like Jerry, have a meaningful um, you know, uh, exposure to commodities because they are the lowest correlated, um, you know, group of markets um, uh, compared to financials. Um, so we end up with about forty percent of the markets we trade in the commodity space, uh, which is pretty healthy, I think, and uh, the rest across, you know, currencies, equities, and and uh, fixed income markets. So so that's how we do it. Yeah, a few times over the years, I've had clients or people ask me, like uh, for instance. Uh, you're the tr- you traded more currencies than anyone else. The currencies have been bad for years. Everyone else said, "Oh, the markets have changed. Currency's not that good anymore." Uh, but you had this meaningful position, still meaningful position in currencies. And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, we're beating ahead against the walls." Uh, you can, you know, trend following by definition. The way it all works is, you just the longer you are in this type of trading, the more you overanalyze the more you want to get from the data. I just don't think there's a lot there. You know, uh, that's the hallmark of my success is that I tried to do as little as possible. I tried to take away uh, information and lessons from uh, specific markets and situations as few as possible. Uh, mm. Diversify, go with the trend. Please do shorts. Uh, don't hesitate to add in single stocks. They're just offer more diversification. Done. It's not even a question move on to something else. Indices are kicking the butt of single stocks now. I don't care. What do you believe in? What are your principles? What are you going to live and die on? Uh, Principles that are going to last for eternity uh, and try not to pay too much attention to today, although you can't ignore it. Yeah. And also because, I mean, every time, as tempting as it may be to say, oh, I really should do do it differently because that would have been so much better in the last five years. I mean, every time we even, and, 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 I, and I appreciate the fact that, um, you know, our clients um, want us to continue to evolve, although they don't want us to change, they want us to become better at what we do. And we, we try that every single day we go to work, we try and find something, but we also have to acknowledge and and balance the risk that every time you make a change to your system there's a chance that you get it wrong um so uh, i i completely agree with jerry on on that point that you know you, you want to do enough but you don't want to do too much either uh when it comes to market selection or number of models or whatever it might be um and, and this is why trend following is such a hard strategy because we know what we do is not going to be optimal at all times. And if you can't accept that, then trend following is not going to be, um, you know, the strategy of, of choice. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, it's, it's even worse. You, you know, uh, we're, we're uh, not even optimizing for, you know, where we should get into crude or get out of crude. The, the whole system is being designed by what is best for all the markets. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a very important distinction, actually. I think that's a great point that Jerry brings up because some managers will 
um, have individual parameters based on markets and where you can say, well, it's better if I trade crude on a 30-day look-back period and I'm going to trade you know, soybeans with a 40-day look-back period to make it very simple. That's a choice. It's it's not a choice that Jerry's making. It's not a choice that we're making because we've found over time and, and, and through many lessons that it's probably better to just treat all markets equally in that sense and, and have universal parameters, even though we know it's not the optimal uh, on a market-by-market -market basis. But we also believe that it's the most robust and, and certainly the less optimized way of approaching that. And that gives you confidence that you're not going to run into some serious trouble down the road. So that that's a really important point that Jerry brought up there. Um, thank you so much, Anish, for these questions. We're going to jump to at ThinkPec, uh, I think is the Twitter handle here. Does the intensity of trends change over time? Assuming that we are the most advanced human occupants yet, uh, are we approaching peak existential risk not sure i quite fully understand the question but let's let's go with it anyway um how how would you approach that one jerry i have no idea what the second part means but uh, no things do change and that's an easy answer yeah uh, but i don't know what he means by intensity i think uh, yeah but i'm sure Things have changed over time. It well, really just depends. Is your system yeah. able to adapt? Uh, you know, that's what trend following kind of does. It kind of adapts to what's going on and uh, what's happened, you know, recently uh, with new fundamentals and new ideas and things we've never seen before. It's, it's two ways you know, to look at it. I mean, what's driving trends is always changing. Trend following is awesome at those changes. And then the trends themselves, they do get, they do change with more computers, more trend followers, more algos, shorter term, longer term, whatever uh, excuse or the idea of the day is. Uh, and so your job is to f have parameters that can capture the trends, even though the, the trend, the people in the markets are making those trends change. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so um, the way I would approach it, I'm not going to try and approach the second question because I don't understand it quite. So, so please re rephrase it if if you want us to to uh, give it a go. But the first thing about intensity of trends, do they change over time? You know, the way I understand your question is that uh, in two ways. One, um, through the life of a trend. Um, can the intensity change? And I think uh, the answer is yes, meaning there will be, if we have a very long-term trend, it doesn't mean that it's persistently trending. And this is what Jerry often talks about, about, you know, you need a system that allows you to stay in a trade for as long as possible, meaning you can have, if we take a simple example, you can have a, a breakout to the upside and the trend is very strong in the beginning. A lot of people pile into that trade. They see the breakout and the momentum uh, coming in and then it might go quiet for a while. And the question is, do you stay with that or do you take that as a sign of, oh, maybe this trend is coming to an end, I should get out. And then suddenly it breaks out again and continues. I mean, that's not uncommon in the world of trading, how markets behave that they don't trend with equal uh, intensity or strength at all times. I wish they did, but they don't. 
Um, so, so in that terms, you could say intensity of the actual trend can change. The other thing, of course, is that you, as we talked about just a minute ago, you can have periods where a specific market or even a sector is not really showing trending, um, you know, behavior for a long period of time. It doesn't mean we want to exclude it. it doesn't mean we don't want to trade it. It just means that we also have to have systems that allows them to stay in the portfolio without costing us too much money until such time that they start trending again. I mean, a recent example would have been, you know, short-term uh, fixed income markets uh, around the world uh, because as soon as the central banks went to zero interest rates and kept it there, there were very little, uh, or maybe I should say no trends in that sector for a while. But it didn't mean we stopped trading it. It just meant that we had to find a way to stick, you know, keep that market or markets in, in the portfolio without it costing us uh, too much money. And then as we've seen now with the US where the short-term interest rates are again moving back up, um, that's been a very nice trend uh, that, you know, has been captured, you know, being able to be captured uh, by, by trend-following systems. So I hope that puts a little bit of color uh, to your question. Um, anything you want to add before we jump on? No, that's okay. good. Okay, cool. All right, next question. The next two questions are from the mysterious man um, who has a very political um, <laughs> motivated Twitter handle, so I'm not going to go that way. But uh, uh, have the markets changed during your time as a trader? And if so, how? So that's question number one. And let me read question number two that we can maybe wrap them up together. If a market has been trending, is it more likely to continue trending than to reverse? So that's both from Mysterious Man. Thank you so much for the question. Let's see if we can give you some um, some answers to this. Uh, definitely, from my, in my opinion, they've changed over the years uh, it, to where I found the need to be much longer term than in 1983. My look back period was 20 days. Now it's 200 days or 150 days or 100 days. So it's much yeah. longer term now. Markets are choppier, more trend followers, more computers, more algos, more whatever. Uh, I think these new parameters, they worked great when I wasn't using them. And I don't really <laughs> believe that it's proper to overweight recent data or um, – yeah, it's, I don't think uh, it's great that these parameters were great over all the data. And I would probably have been better off trading longer term when I wasn't trading longer term. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the most profound. We've had new markets come in uh, to the futures world. We've had, we picked up single stocks, of course. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the most profound change. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true, and I and and I think we talked about this last week. Um, so, um, so, so we've done a study on our side that just looks at, for example, if if you go back twenty five years and you took each of those twenty five years in 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 isolation and you looked at what what was the most optimal look back period for that year, what you find is, and obviously using a specific trend following model um, to to make it consistent, and what we found was that there's a huge difference uh, from year to year. Sometimes you can have a cluster, you can have a period of three or four years where 
the look back period is more or less consistent. Um, but you can have years where there's a huge difference. And I think this year is one of those years. I think this year we'll find, uh, if we ran the analysis after the year is over, that this year the optimal look back period would have been pretty short which explains why a lot of trend followers haven't done so well. And it also explains why a few who may just be trading in that wonderful time period or window um, this year has done, you know, reasonably well. And why there's been a lot of disbursement between um, uh, between returns uh, of seemingly similar strategies. So I concur with, with uh, Jerry that... Um, that look back periods as an example of how markets change um, has certainly changed over the years. And 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 like Jerry, we we on our side are much much longer term than than uh, you know fifty or or even a hundred days. We we're we're way above that because in the long run we find that that is more profitable to be. Which is also why it's been a tough year. Um, for us, uh, in in the sense that you know it's a bit too long for a year like this year. On the other hand, we truly believe that again in the long run it's okay. But it's also why we allow our model to to adapt and and recalibrate, not to a large extent, but over because of the methodology we use for picking these parameters, and which is a dynamic process. Uh, it is it is um, it it will adapt over time, not down to, you know, 20, 50 days. That's not kind of what we expect. But um, but it can migrate from being super long to being more medium uh, to, to long term in its uh, parameter selection. So so those are definitely the ways um, markets have changed. And you ask about whether if a market has been trending, is it more likely to continue trending or so? I mean, there are some statistics about these things, about, you know, um, persistence in momentum and and I'm sure you can make a very theoretical uh, analysis on this, and I don't have the data uh, for that, but I'm sure a lot of our, um, you know, competitors and, and maybe our, our own research, you know, groups, they, they look at these things. But um, uh, so it's, it's a question that has many answers, I, I would say. And so I'm not going to be able to give you one specific answer uh, to that. I do think, though, and, and this is something that, that I tried uh, many years ago. I mean, you could argue that the longer the trend has run, the higher the probability is that it's going to come to an end. I mean, that would be a logical uh, assumption. Um, so in that sense, you could argue that there is, um, uh, that you could develop some kind of stop loss methodology that is um, uh, relating to the length of, trade and what i mean by that um, because this is something i've seen um, and even uh, tried a number of years ago and and where you basically make your stop a little bit tighter uh you know depending on how long the the trend has has lasted um, you know whether that's right or wrong you know i, I don't know um, is it the most profitable way of doing it i have no idea but you could argue uh, logically that the longer the trend has been that the you know at some point, it's going to come to an end. I think that's a fair statement. Yes, I I like. Uh, I would not do uh, the other part. I think that uh, what you said at the very end, I agree. But uh, it's kind of a fun yeah. part about trend following. Uh, I, but I would uh, that uh, if if you were to run this analysis, and ninety percent of the time uh, this was true, it could still be unprofitable 
to move the stop closer right. <laughs> because the one yep. or the 10% yep. of the time, uh, you know, let's say no trends last over three years. So move your stop up very close at three years. Uh, and then, oh, there was 10% that went 10 years and made another 300 ATRs. <laughs> oh, darn. Exactly. So yeah. yes, that question is, is not the question. The question is, is it profitable? Uh, is it robust? Of course. Yeah. I think changing parameters based upon profit and loss is not something I think is robust. Uh, nothing that I will ever say in any of these podcasts is more important than that, I think. Uh, and probably <laughs> more people disagree with that than anything else I'll say as well. But uh, adapting or changing parameters based upon uh, infrequent events like large profits uh, is it's not something I would do. But um, it's definitely true that the further it goes on, it's probably getting closer and closer to ending. It just doesn't have any th comment sure. on, is it a profitable thing to do? It probably uh, is not. Sure. And and I think just, just to comment on that further, and that is to say, you know, whatever you hear Jerry and I and when Morris is here, whatever we say, it's just our opinion. It doesn't mean you should test it. It doesn't mean you should agree. It just means that this is what we found in the last 30, 40 years um, and, and what we've come to believe in. But it it certainly doesn't mean that you should take it for for granted and, and you shouldn't go and, and find, and this is why I said earlier on, find something that you feel comfortable with because there's more likelihood that you're going to stick to it. And it's probably more important that you stick to it than you uh, than whether you get it absolutely right. Um, you know, so, uh, if, yeah. Well, if no, I could just comment on that, I would, uh, we, we, you know, maybe we have a little disagreement here. I mean, we don't hardly ever disagree. And when we do, it's not very much. So let's manufacture some disagreement here. But uh, I sure. think, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the another I mean, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the way you phrase that. Uh, it doesn't mean you should uh, agree or disagree or, you know, come up with your own ideas. I agree with that, but a big but here. I think that it's better for traders in general to be skeptical of ideas that feel good. And I really, right. yeah. it just, yeah. or common sense. This is just common sense. It's, I've been in this trade a long time. Mm. Obviously, it's getting close. Obviously, and I'm itching to take this profit anyways. As human beings, we like to get out of these things with lots of profit versus uh, I'm going to give myself an A plus uh, because I followed my system, but I made the least amount of money of all my friends on this trade. Yeah, said by no one. Uh, but that's the mentality. Like, let's just be a little skeptical if it's something that is feeding into my human desire to take a profit or to uh, to analyze it a little deeper. Uh, and that's why I would just say that. And that's the way I always approached it. And so if I heard something from someone that dug into my good feelings I had about some of my ideas, it would just prick my conscience. And I would uh, be always skeptical of not uh, choosing a methodology or a process that was kind of not that much fun. Oh crap. You mean I still have to just follow the system and I can't move my stop up? Yeah. So things like that would just buffet me and limit me from, uh, embracing ideas that if it was too good to be true in some respects, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's an important point. And, and, and we certainly have complete agreement on that, uh, Jerry, because I think that what we're trying to express to 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 our listeners is that we have some core beliefs 
that we would never violate. You don't have to necessarily agree with those core beliefs, but in our view, these are core beliefs because we truly believe that that is the right thing to do. Not necessarily what makes us feel better, but it's the right thing to do. So uh, so that that's a good point that you brought up. We're not trying to take the easy solution or find the easy way to, to do something. And often, and I know you've said that many times, Jerry, I mean, uh, often what makes trend following work is that it's a strategy that is not so easy to do. And hold on to, and it doesn't feel good uh, in in most. And of that's the time. and that's because when we've traded and done back testing and research, that's what the computer tells us. Uh, you, you know, yeah. if you want to make money, you have to not pay attention to ease, comfort, and pleasure, and common sense, and things you wish. Yeah. I wish the markets were a certain way, but they're not, and they're worse. If you just try to be as perverse as possible and seek out as much pain as possible, I think you'd be closer to getting it right than uh, some of the kind of common sense ideas to make this thing better. It's not about making it better because yeah. better to us means less volatility, more profits. It's it's a hard road. And I think just having that mindset that, oh man, too good to be true if I can move my stop up based upon anything, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so thanks for those questions. Now we have a question from Nitesh. Uh, Nitesh has a short question. He says, is short-term trend following four weeks or less impossible now, or does it need to be done differently from medium-term and long-term trend following? Any views, Jerry? I think uh, there's guys out there who are really good at short-term trading, and my hat's off to yeah. them. And congratulations. Uh, the rest of us... Uh, I haven't been able to figure that out. It, it uh, Whatever you do, it needs to be done profitably and under risk control. I don't know if four weeks is the way to do it or four minutes. I'm not really sure uh, how they do it. Sure. Eight-day holding periods, six-day holding periods. I'm not sure. I hear these things in the media, and they're really smart people. Uh, you know, Chesapeake and Dunn, plus a really short, profitable turn trader. That's a good portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have to convince Moritz to become short term, and then we've got the perfect yeah, trio. That's right. <laughs> I would say my view is that I don't think anything is impossible. What I will say, though, I think short term trading is impossible if you want to do it in size. So I think you can find uh, methodologies that are pretty robust, and it might work for fifty, a hundred, two hundred million dollars in the management. And if that's what you're looking to do, I think it is definitely doable. But if you want to trade a billion or $2 billion um, in a short-term system, I think that's where you're going to find it really difficult to do profitably, consistently over time. Um, so, so that's the challenge. But, but that would be my, my initial um, comment in addition to what Jerry already said. So thanks, Nitesh, for, for those questions. Um, then we have a question from Dave. Dave, of course, has uh, had questions to, for us previously so we appreciate you coming back dave um for um with more um let me just see because there's a comment here yeah it was just a comment okay would you please ask jerry to describe how he determines which single stocks make it to his universe as a trading as trading candidates i think we've already touched on this a little bit today maybe you can just uh, summarize that again uh jerry and then he says I would like to have you guys discuss an approach or two that could be 
used to whittle down the universe of single stocks into a list of possible trend following. Yeah, so maybe just sort of um, reiterate a little bit about how you would go about sort of selecting your universe if there's, you know, if there's any particular strict method you use or is it more common sense in terms of liquidity? You already talked about you don't want to have single stocks that are, you know, almost the same like Paper C and Coke um, and things like that. Maybe you can just run that through for Dave um, and and uh, that will uh, no doubt help him. I'm yeah, sure. so I think uh, there's a lot of good tools out there. The Fidelity website has a stock screener that's pretty darn awesome. So I plug in, uh, give me a list of stocks that have 4 million shares, average volume, that $35 minimum price, and you're going to get about 85 stocks. So start okay. going through, list them in terms of the industry or the, uh, the, you know, the, the industry that they're in, the sector that they're in. Uh, there's like three different ways of looking at it, I think, and then start running some correlation analysis. And, and even in the correlation analysis, I wasn't really willing to pay attention just to the numbers. Um, I only wanted one railroad or one pharmaceutical, and I just chose one that was you know, from the group of three or four that was maybe fits in better with the other stocks I was trading. So even if I had two markets in the same industry, if Coke and Pepsi weren't highly correlated, I still would only choose one. So I'm going to uh, default to safety. There's just so many to choose from. Why, uh, why wait until, oh, the correlation does? They actually are now 90% correlated. So it's a combination of uh, just <clears throat> one of my re reoccurring themes is look at the numbers, but try not to take too much, not try not to put too much emphasis on them, uh, default towards safety. Am I there? Yeah, okay, you're back good. now. Yeah, don't try to take too much. Uh, was was where we left you. Don't try to take too much away from the numbers. Yeah, try not to I think you were trying yeah, to just say. Try not to fall in love with the numbers and then go forward with all this yeah. boldness based upon historical number crutching. That's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, uh, great point. And and thanks for the, the question, Dave. Always appreciate it. Um, last question for today. Uh, as we're already setting a record for our weekly show at one minute uh, sorry, one hour and 21 minutes. So uh, thank you so much for all these questions. Uh, last question for today. Um, I would like, and sorry, this is from Ted. So Ted asks, I would like to understand the parameters around which you trade uh, Natty. I think he's meaning Natty natural gas. With daily swings of 5 to 8%, how do you manage risk and still stay long or short as the case may be? So Ted, just, just from, from our point of view, we, we don't treat natural gas any different from any of the other markets um if it has if 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 and we've talked about this before and this is where 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 jerry and and, and we have different approaches um but if there is a huge expansion say in volatility of natural gas we would just simply um, reduce our position size a bit um during that trade and vice versa if suddenly uh, volatility goes down only to a certain level where there's always going to be a flaw in that in that case but but um so so we don't necessarily change the parameters just because it has a higher volatility um but we do um we do do scale our positions accordingly if, if volatility suddenly increases a lot 
um and um but yeah that's how we would approach it uh ted jerry how 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 would you respond to ted on this one well honestly uh, a lot of our you know our systems are determined by back testing and looking at profitable and unprofitable markets and charts and there's not a lot of charts that look like this so we're just going to have to force this price movement into our system uh so I think the underlying question is, how do I, I feel like what he's trying to get at or what, what's in my head right now is, how do I get money out of this trade? And I think that that's a problem. That's right, just going to be right. a problem. Sure. How do I follow my system? How do I handle this like I'm going to handle all the other trades? And are you seriously saying that since this chart looks so much different than uh, long-term trends that I've seen and that sort of are dictating the choice of systems and parameters that I'm going to use the same approach on something that looks so different? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. There you have it. It's not a good answer. I hate that answer. It's just uh, if natural gas calms down, settles down, the vol goes a lot lower, it goes sideways for a while, then resumes a really nice orderly upward trend, yeah, my system will do perfectly fine. But it probably won't. And my bottom line, of course, is to follow the system and not uh, figure out a way to not give back all of that great open profit. More than likely, I'm going to give it all back. Yeah, and also, I, and I don't know, uh, Ted, if if you are referring to this um, as a single market you trade. I mean, some people really focus on a few markets, and I think the comment we we made earlier about the importance of being diversified and not relying too much on a single market uh, is important in that sense and if you do i mean if you trade a diversified portfolio then again don't be too you know focused on the fact that the volatility is different in in in, in natural gas i mean it'll be different in many of the markets right both to the upside and the downside and i think the one of the key things that maybe from a psychological point of view uh, which I hope comes across when 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 we speak, uh, you know, Morris and Jerry and I, and that is we're really trying to be very dispassionate. We're 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 passionately dispassionate, uh, if I can put it that way, because we don't want to fall in love with any one market, any one trend, uh, any one parameter setting. Um, we really don't want to to attach ourselves to to uh, any particular thing we do. Rather, it's it's the whole process that we attach uh, our passion to um, because we believe that 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 is really the way um, or the best way to 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 profit in these markets um, over the long run um, yeah anything you want to add um, no that's otherwise I'm gonna great group okay. of questions Okay, yeah, we appreciate it. Keep them coming. Um, we may not always get to all of them, but we we felt we we uh, we owed some some uh, Q and A since we didn't have much last week. So we uh, so hopefully you appreciate that. Um, just a quick quick rundown as usual of the um, CTA indices. This is as of Thursday evening, so the twentieth of December, um, and I get Friday. Uh, I think was a good day uh, for for many trend following strategies. Um, so so the numbers may be a little bit low, um, but anyway, the beta fifty index um, has now finally gotten into positive territory for the month, up 0.46 and down four point eight one percent for the year, which of course you know is 
less than the S&P is down for the year, I think now. SOC Gen CTA index up 1.18%, down 6.09. SOC Gen trend index up 0.06%, down 8.42 for the year. SOC Gen uh, short-term index up uh, 0.88% for the uh, month and down 0.64 for the year. And Bridge Alternatives, the flat fee uh, manager index up 1.4% for the month and down 8.6% for the year. So that was a whole conversation without Moritz. So we now have to remind people to do the hashtag happy trading, I guess. <laughs> yes, we need to maybe just uh, record Anything... that and plug it in with this. Yeah, t- yeah absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, we're coming up for some uh, holidays. So first of all, we have to remember to say thanks to you, the listener, for all of your support um, leading into the holidays. We will be back next week, of course. It's not over. It's not the last you've heard of us in 2018, but we just want to wish you, you know, a happy holiday season uh, ahead of it for sure. Um, and as Jerry said, we really appreciate your your questions. We love uh, this interaction, so so keep it coming. And and uh, if you have any other ideas um, for for 2019, we're we're happy to uh, you know take take advice from you guys. After all, it's we do it for for uh, not just for ourselves. We do it um, to to help you. Um, any final thoughts, uh, Jerry, before we before we wrap up? Hmm, I don't think so. I think we've I've said enough. I feel I'm a little worn out. Uh, we had to pick up the slack <laughs> from uh, Niels, who's, who's a very important yeah. member of the team. Yeah. Well, yeah. More importantly, we should we pick to have to pick it up I mean, for more. I mean, yeah, he's the one who's missing today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyways, it's been a long conversation, as you can hear. We're, we're it's all rambling for us now. So, on that note. We're going to wrap up this conversation. We uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much. I'm sure you can hear we enjoy making it for you. And uh, if you feel you get some value from these conversations, uh, we we do kindly ask you to to share them because we 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 find that uh, the more people who share this, um, you know, the the more people will be able to discover um, you know this series. So so please leave a rating and review on iTunes and send us your comments. And uh, yeah, any other ways you can share it with your tribe, we certainly appreciate. And so uh, from Jerry and me, thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back with you and Moritz next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.